Blog Talk Radio. Hello and good afternoon, Jets fans. This is the New York Jets on 247 Sports Podcast. Rick Lachlan alongside Michael Cohn is going to be filling in for Dan Feuerstein. And Michael, this is a first time in a long time, a first time in seven games that we're going to be recapping a win. I repeat, a win for the New York Jets. How strange it is. And as we talked about before the start of the show, Daniel, uh, Michael, I should say, is this the moment when you think that Sam Darnold has finally started to find his own and arrive in the NFL? Just to be, just to make it clear, everybody, my name is not Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you. No, I'm like, <laughs> Dan, of course, is on it. Dan, of course, is on assignment. Uh, he is down in Florida, uh, just taking in, I guess, some uh, R and R, if you will. Uh, don't blame with the weather we have here. It's kind of cold up here in New Jersey, but you know, to look back at uh, at that game. And you mentioned it, you know, has Sam Donald arrived? I'll be honest with you. He is the difference maker for me for this team because, yeah, it's been seven weeks since the Jets have had a win and this team has played bad football, the coach is on a hot seat and all that stuff. But for one game where everything was going wrong for the Jets, uh, you had the head coach with the number of head-scratching head decisions on fourth down, a lot of bad play calling, of course, by Jeremy Bates, a couple of bad turnovers. I mean, this game looked like it was going to be Buffalo walking away. It was, what, 17-6 to for the longest time? And for Sam Donald to bring this team back to engineer those two touchdown drives that he did late in the second half, I mean, it, it's got to, if you're a Jets fan, just give you a little bit of pause and just let you think about, hmm, you know, this is something that we can build off of. You know, yeah, it's a lost season. We're not, the, the Jets are not going anywhere into the pl- playoffs, but they have a franchise quarterback. And, you know, I'm going to throw this at you, Rick. You know, it reminded me of uh, the Peyton Manning's first comeback win. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you Sam Darnold's going to, you know, become a three-time MVP and win a Super Bowl. I'm not going to say that. But, um, you know, in his first comeback win, it was against the Jets, ironically, for Peyton Manning. And that was the year where they were 3-13, and and that was their last win of the year where he came back against the Jet team that was on its way to the AFC Championship games. Now, Obviously, different circumstances with the, with the Bills and the Jets, but the point is, that was kind of a preview of coming attractions for the Colts. Maybe that could be something for the case here with Sam Darnold for the Jets. And look, this is a big reason. I know I got a lot of flack and caught a lot of flack from Jet fans on Facebook, on even listening to the podcast, that I felt like it was important for Sam Darnold to come back from this injury and to play and gain some momentum heading into next year, because... These are the type of experiences, these fourth-quarter comebacks on the road in a hostile environment against an AFC rival where the Jets were winless within the division. For him to be able to jumpstart this offense that had a banged-up Isaiah Crowell, yet Quincy Anugra, who to me still looked like he was hobbling. And you, you mentioned it, Michael. I mean, the energy that Sam Darnold brings onto the field, it looked like he infused that into the offense. And I really feel like he was overcoming some sub our offensive play calling, their down personnel, the offensive line, I think they took a personal challenge upon themselves. You know, you've been a huge critic of Todd Bowles. I've been a big critic of Todd Bowles, but if I'm going to at least give him a tip of the cap and give him some credit, he drilled in that message to the offensive line and the defensive line that in that first meeting with Buffalo, this team got absolutely manhandled at the point of attack, and he was making sure that that didn't happen again. So that was a testament to the coaching staff at least getting that message through 
to keep Sam Darnold clean in that pocket. And for me, look, I, I was on the fence because I didn't want to risk Sam Darnold injuring himself further, which oddly enough in this game, of course, he he injured his foot and did leave, and you saw Josh McGowan come in for one play, and then, of course, uh, one throw, I should say, and then he returned in in that game. But as long as Sam Darnold's not risking any further injury, you don't want to jeopardize his season next year beyond that. I feel like it's important for him to finish at least these next couple of games, depending on that finale against the Patriots, whether that's a meaningful game for the Patriots or not. Nevertheless, I still feel like Sam Darnold can build some momentum and much-needed experience in this league heading into next season because whoever the coach ends up being and whether the Jets stick with the current GM or go with another one, these are the type of games that build character and build championship type of experience in a young quarterback. And for me, you know, I, I have been on the Sam Darnold train for a long time now. This kind of just proved what I already thought about him, that he is a leader and he is a guy that, one day can evolve into a franchise quarterback. And that's what's going to make the Jet job very attractive for any head coach that comes here. Now, there was a there was an article written by, uh, I believe it was Richard Samini or Manish Mehta, about how the Jet job wouldn't be attractive because Mike McKagan's presence on the, on the team, you know, being potentially a lame duck general manager. But you have a quarterback here in Sam Darnold who has the potential to really become a, great, a really good quarterback for this franchise. And for a franchise... Now, let's be honest, you know, no offense to Joe Namath. I know he has the Super Bowl title with the guarantees and the Hall of Fame. The Jets have never had a really great quarterback ever in the history of the franchise. So if you're, if you're a head coach and you've got a chance here to come to New York and not just win in New York, which, of course, is the, the, the emiss, if you will, of, uh, of any kind of coaching uh, career for that matter, but to do it with really the first really good quarterback in the history of this franchise, that, that's a heck of a feather to put in your cap. So... That's, what, to me, what makes this Jet job so attractive. And, yeah, you know what? I think for these next three weeks, you want to see Sam Darnold continue to, pro- to progress. Yes, these three opponents are very, very difficult. The chances of the Jets winning these games, not very good. But still, you want to see him play well. You want to see him come out of this healthy uh, to build off of that going into next season. That's really what the final three games are about. I mean, Jet fans are going to really grumble and moan and groan about each passing win if they do upset one of these next three games against the Texans, Packers, and Patriots, because then that's going to hurt their draft stock. So it seems like Tom Bulls is in a no-win situation. If the team plays well, they win one, maybe two, dare I say even three of these next three games. We all know that's not going to happen. But he's still going to catch flack from the fan base saying, you're hurting our draft stock. So clearly Todd Bowles' days in the Jets with the Jets are numbered. And the rest of the season is about getting Sam Darnold confidence back getting him at least on the upswing heading into next year because the turnovers have been a problem he had one errant throw on Sunday that he would like to have back but aside from that I thought he managed the game uh, especially effectively and he benefited from an offensive line that took the personal challenge of protecting him so for me again I feel and I wrote an article today on the 247 sports page uh, about John DeFilippo and I feel like he is going to be among the favorites for the Jets head coaching job and I personally, if you were to ask my opinion, I don't feel he's the strongest candidate. He doesn't have the most polished resume. I mean, he's been uh, at nine different teams throughout his NFL coaching career, spanning from offensive quality control coach with the Giants uh, in 2005, all the way to offensive coordinator now with the Minnesota Vikings. And we saw how quickly that lasted, that ultimately fired after that 21-7 loss to the Seattle Seahawks last night on Monday night. 
So for me, I feel like even though he did spend some time with the New York Jets, he was the quarterback's coach for Mark Sanchez in 2009, his rookie year under Rex Ryan. He has a familiarity with the with the organization, and it seems like that new wave of coaching hirings, whether it's a Sean McVay out in Los Angeles, they want to go with a young, upstart, fresh-minded perspective, a guy that can really relate to a young quarterback, and that seems to be the new wave of coaching. But for me, pound for pound, I know Daniel's not, not on board with this. I'd be, I'd be curious to get your thoughts, but, I mean, if you're looking at the available head coaches – uh, Jim Harbaugh already ruled himself out saying he's staying in Michigan. John Harbaugh now uh, tenuous at best with the Ravens if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, among the head coaching candidates that could be available, uh, I would say that Mike McCarthy is as good as any that the Jets could hire. And frankly, again, there's no proven track record that they have to go with a guy that's under 40, 45 years old in order for Sam Darnold to be able to relate and succeed in this league. I don't think they necessarily have to go for somebody who's under 45 years old. And, you know, I think that the the whole thing with the young, with the young offensive assistant head coaches becoming head coaches, that's taken a big hit this year. I mean, it really has. I mean, you consider the fact that not only do you have Filippo who just got fired by the uh, Minnesota Vikings today, Okay, he did not relate well at all with Dirk Cousins. He had a lot of issues with Mike Zimmer. And I think part of that's the fact that he was kind of shopping for a job anyway. He kept putting himself out there in the media, like, hey, here, here I am, you know, come visit, uh, visit me as I'm working out in the gym with my wife and all these things. I don't think that really helped either. So there's that. You also take a look at Matt LaFleur. That offense in Tennessee is one of the worst offenses in the national football. And Matt LaFleur is considered a head coaching candidate. Forget about him, too. So all these young offensive geniuses, so-called, are having bad years this year in the NFL, and it's really going to hinder them from getting a job. So if, if uh, John Harbaugh does get fired by the Ravens, and even if he doesn't, that has to be the guy on the top of my list if, you're the, if I'm the Jets. I mean, if I have to go and contact the Ravens and even consider moving compensation to get John Harbaugh here, if the Ravens are that or that uh, uncertain about his future in Baltimore, I would consider doing it. I would even consider going after someone like a Dave Taub, who's been a, uh, a very much a stalwart with Andy Reid in Kansas City as a special teams coach. He's an assistant head coach over there. That's a name that a guy who has not had any, any dings to his reputation so far this season. But, man, uh, you ha- to me, it has to be an experienced guy to come in here doesn't necessarily have to be a young guy anymore, especially with all the problems they're having this year around the league. And even look at Sean McVay, I mean, the youngest coach in the league, and how they struggled so mightily in that Sunday night game against the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field, to, and what is a prolific offense. It just shows that these young upstart offensive gurus that even on their worst days, they don't look like, uh, you know, the next coming – of of Joe Montana or one of these brilliant offense coordinators that, again, this is a, a league that has a lot of parity. I mean, we've seen with the Rams and the New Orleans Saints dominating the NFC, and then, of course, you have the Kansas City Chiefs and the, and the AFC do, doing well, but it just shows that any given Sunday plan, whether it really is personnel-related, that there's certain teams that just struggle to play against uh, different teams, whether it's within the division or across the conference. And I agree with your point about John Harbaugh. I think that he's proven, if one thing, and look, I think the Jets 
they have to move away from. I mean, really the last offensive coach that the Jets have hired was Al Groh. And they have to move away from going with this defensive-minded leader as a head coach that's trying to combat mm-hmm. Tom Brady and, the, and Bill Belichick and the Patriots in that high-flying offense because Tom Brady is not going to be – when Sam Darnold is in his prime, probably in his mid to late 20s, you're hoping – we don't know for sure, but you're hoping that Tom Brady is long gone. You don't know what's going to happen with Belichick. It could ultimately be Josh McDaniel's team at that point. The Jets need to plan for the best – position to make Sam Darnold succeed and not necessarily try to be a follower and try to find a strategy to combat the Patriots. Because aside from Pete Carroll and Al Groh, and I guess you want to throw Bill Parcells in there, who's more of a CEO type that can manage all three phases of the game. The Jets have largely went after defensive minded head coaches and it hasn't produced results. They haven't developed a franchise quarterback of their own. They haven't made a Super Bowl. They haven't been able to topple the Patriots in the AFC East. So you'd only hope that the Jets are finally learning from some of the mistakes of their past and going with a different tactic and going on the offensive side of the ball. And, again, I would throw Mike McCarthy in the mix. I like your idea about John Harbaugh. And, you know, who knows who's coming out of the college ranks. But, ultimately, they need the most important thing – and we don't know who's going to be on this team in three to five years. The Jets could have totally per- different personnel on the defensive side. They could have totally different receivers and running backs. But the one constant is going to be Sam Darnold. So when the Jets ultimately pull the trigger on Todd Bowles, hand him his walking papers, and they bring in a new head coach candidate to interview, they need to make sure that that coach and this quarterback and Sam Darnold are going to be clicking on all cylinders because that's really – what it's all about. It's a quarterback-driven league, and this is going to be the guy for the Jets for the next decade plus, and they have to make sure he's as comfortable as possible and can develop into the best player he could possibly be. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, last time the Jets had an offensive coach as a head coach. You mentioned Al Groh. Well, it was not Al Groh. Al Groh was a defensive guy. He was defensive coordinator for the Giants and the Patriots uh, during Parcells' years. The last time they had an offensive guy as a head coach, you got to go back to Kotite. Now, that's not a great uh, example right there with Rich Kotite. So you're talking about like Bruce Coslett, uh, you know, even Joe Walton. You're really going back now into the 80s to find the last time the Jets had a successful offensive guy as the head coach of this team. I mean, you're going back now almost 30 years. So they gotta they got to come with the times now. they got to look at the way the NFL has now been run with guys who – with coaches who run these spread offenses. They're fast. Uh, they put up a lot of points. Um, and these are coaches who are not afraid to go down a field. That's what they need. That's the kind of coach they're going to need to bring in here, uh, someone who can create things for Sam Darnold, who can uh, put Darnold in position to succeed. Look at Matt Nagy in Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you mentioned, of course, Sean McVay in Los Angeles with the Rams, uh, with Jared Goff. You know, all, these are t- those are two quarterbacks. The rookie years, you're like, you know, I don't know. Jared Goff looks like a bust. Uh, you know, Mitchell Trubisky looks like a bust. That was the impression before. Now it's like, you know what? How these guys have some credible coaches here who know what they're doing. If you get that for Sam Darnold, man, I mean, the sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. That's what they have to do is find that, find the right guy. I think that's the, the biggest thing here, Rick, is they have to find the right guy. Because if you give the job to, let's say, a John Filippo, and it doesn't work out, where's this franchise then? You know what I'm saying? They have to find the right guy here to come in here and win. Yeah, absolutely. And to clarify my point about Al Groh, you, 
Kirk Cousins, right? He was more defensive-minded coach. I mean, he was an offensive coordinator for South Carolina for a brief time, so he had at least some understanding of the offense side of the football. But whether you go down yeah. the list, a, a Herman Edwards, a Todd Bowles, a Pete Carroll, I mean, none of these guys were seen as offensive-minded coaches. And you saw what Sean McVay has done to transform from Jeff Fisher with, Je- with Jared Goff, where he barely trusted him to throw the football, to now putting mm-hmm. Jared Goff in a position to succeed. It just shows what kind of impact that a, a competent and confident head coach can have any young quarterback. And for me, again, you know, I, I can't talk enough about this game against the Buffalo Bills. This was a game that was a classic game that the Jets would lose going back to Todd Bowles' first season, 2015, up in Western New York. And the fact that they pulled the rabbit out of the hat, you had Elijah McGuire, who, you know, Isaiah Crowell only had two carries in this game for five yards. He was clearly not himself. And McGuire, a guy that I feel like is an unheralded player in that backfield because Bilal Powell, of course, after the season-ending injury that was first thought to be career-threatening, now it looks like he can come back from it. You're starting to get the sense that Elijah McGuire can be a guy that will fit into this backfield, especially as an insurance policy in case Bilal Powell can't come back. I think Crowell has been too much feast or famine to count on. He can break some long runs, but he can also go for 10 carries for 20 yards. So he's not the type of guy the Jets can bring back, and he's also had some ugly off-the-field incidents. Remember that uh, social media post he put of a, a cop being strangled, uh, you know, was not something that clearly was well-received by the public, and he had an issue of apology for that. So I really don't expect Isaiah Crowell to be part of the Jets' equation moving forward. And one of the articles that was posted on the 247 Sports Facebook page was regarding Elijah McGuire and how whether he could be a bell cow running back and you avoid signing a guy like Le'Veon Bell and putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, because the Jets, as we've seen, they have issues along the offensive line. You look maybe to add another wide receiver and to shore up that running back position, and that's not even looking on the defensive side of the ball. So I hate to see the Jets go all in on a 30-year-old running back that has no guarantees of A, staying healthy, or B, being committed to the team based on what he showed with the Steelers. So for me, it's interesting to watch. The one thing I'm going to be watching, of course, is Sam Darnold's development, but also Elijah McGuire and how he plays down the stretch. But it's going to be difficult to evaluate behind an offensive line that has been so up and down so far this year. So unfortunately, when you're evaluating some of these players in the final three games, you have to take it with a grain of salt because you're really playing with a stripped-down roster that is both devoid of talent and not being properly coached. So that's going to be a difficult thing. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what exactly transpires. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about, Michael, and I know we focused on a lot of negatives so far this season. This is an article that Daniel wrote that him and I have been talking about all year on the podcast. The Jets' special teams play has been unbelievable. It's been nothing short of spectacular between Andre Roberts' returns, the 86-yard return in this game. You had Jason Myers, who has been just unbelievable from 50-plus yards and converted both field goals in the game against Buffalo, all three extra points. They've had some blocked punts. They had some tipped kicks. Everything this special teams unit can do to make the opponent's life miserable and try to turn a tide in the game, they have done and would you have ever thought, uh, Michael, that after Mike Westhoff left that the Jets' special teams unit would even come close to how they played under Mike Westhoff's watch? They've been surprisingly good this year. Uh, I don't think it's as good as the Westhoff years, but it's been surprisingly good this year. Jason Myers has done a nice job. I think that he's earned a spot to be 
certainly be considered the kicker for the team moving forward into next year. Uh, but I'll say this, you know, in preseason, this unit looked really bad. I mean, they were, they were just making mistakes all over the place in preseason, and they have really cleaned it up. They've turned it around very nicely. Uh, the unit has played well for what, for what it is. Uh, Andre Roberts has a, lot, has a lot of nice speed. you got to like that. Um, he's got, got to learn how to hold another football there. Andre Roberts, come on, you can't fumble, fumble hmm. the start the start the second half of a football game. Uh, but uh, it's, it's improved. It's, it's certainly improved over the course of the season. Uh, I just want to double back on a point you made earlier about the running back situation. I'm not ready to crown Elijah McGuire as the be-all, end-all. Uh, now, keep in mind, you're going to have – you mentioned Le'Veon Bell. Do they just want to give all that money to Bell? I don't know, especially to a guy who's been a locker room problem. Uh, Kareem Hunt, now I know the Jets want to avoid, at least the, the the impression is they want to avoid guys who have bad PR. Kareem Hunt is as bad as PR as there is right now <laughs> after his incident. But, you know, he's going to be 25 years old. And if you don't want a 30-year-old running back in Bell, well, you're going to have Kareem Hunt out there too. So uh, I'll, I'll be very interested to see what they do what, with the running back position. If it were me, I would try to draft a quality back within the first two rounds of the draft next year. Certainly in the second round. I mean, they have to move up to get a pick in the second round. But uh, you have to address this position because there's too many times over the last four years where they've ignored the running back position and they've had this running back by committee for far too long. They don't have a running a dominant runner in that backfield, and that is a big problem. Yeah, and I don't think Elijah McGuire, I mean, you just look at his size and stature. He's not a big physical bruising running back yeah. that's going to be able – in the vein of even a Leonard Fournette, who had shown how he's been breaking down so far this year, that's going to be able to carry that kind of workload. But from what you've seen, again, if he's in a two-headed backfield or even a running back by committee scenario, he can be effective weapon for the Jets and using him in the passing game as well. And I think ultimately your point about Kareem Hunt, uh, you know, I really expect this. You saw the Ezekiel Elliott uh, suspension play out. And frankly, you know, you don't want to compare – whether his situation was worse or better than Kareem Hunt's. But the fact of the matter is I expect Kareem Hunt to at least get an eight-game suspension. And, you know, that's going to be significant for a Jet team, you know, looking to maybe sign him in the offseason, taking on, of course, him missing half a year could be a big consideration. So you have to wait and see. I think ultimately this Jets team, again, the offensive line to me has to take priority. I mean, you saw even with the Pittsburgh Steelers when Le'Veon Bell failed to report, wouldn't report to the team, uh, they didn't miss uh, a snap with James Conner. I mean, the guy was fantastic until he's been injured in recent weeks, and then we've kind of seen the Steelers' season starting to spiral out of control. They can't find a reliable running back to back him up. They haven't been able, of course, with Ben Roethlisberger. He had an injured rib, was in and out of game against the the Oakland Raiders. So, again, and that's a guy in Ben Roethlisberger uh, who's now won, uh, of course, two Super Bowls, appeared in three. And it just shows in this league, I mean, you can have a franchise-caliber quarterback. If you can't protect him and support him at the running game, you know, he's going to be as pedestrian as they come. So, that has to be the focus in the offseason, offensive line via the draft and free agency. And I agree with you, getting that running back, if they want to go with a dynamic guy like Kareem Hunt, they're going to have to, of course, wait until the midpoint of the season to acclimate him into the lineup. But for me, I just everything I see from Le'Veon Bell tells me the Jets are going to be paying dearly on the back end of that contract, that he doesn't seem like a team guy. All he wants is his next deal. And we've seen that from Muhammad Wilkerson that it was, you know, you know, is there going to be a holdout? 
He wants to get paid. He wants to get paid. And then when the Jets finally opened up the checkbook, they gave him a very lucrative deal. What did he do? He he got fat. He got health. He got fat and content with his deal and didn't apply himself on the field, was showing up late for meetings. And that's the exact kind of scenario you'd want to avoid with a Le'Veon Bell situation. So I think the Jets need to go with a guy 25 or younger that's hungry, that's perhaps a first-year player out of college or a guy that's looking to, you know, prove himself in the NFL instead of going with a guy in Le'Veon Bell that really, if you're looking at his priorities, I, I think he's really looking to cash in on his big payday more so than he's trying to probably try to win a Super Bowl with the next team that signs him. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he he is a problem. I mean, I I wouldn't I would really stay consider stay away from Bell. I think a lot of teams are going to look at that situation that happened in Pittsburgh and they're going to say, "Do we really want to bring this guy into our clubhouse? Is he going to be a team guy? He is going to have a lot of explaining to do to teams throughout the, through around the National Football League about what about his attitude um about team, about team first whenever wherever he goes, and he's going to have a hard time getting a big-time contract from somebody if he thinks he can be the highest-paid running back. He should have he should have just ended this holdout. He should have played. Uh, I know he, well, he, he wants to sit there and use Des Bryant as an example. Well, you should have, he should have come back earlier than that, okay? He should have, he should have ended it in training camp at Le'Veon Bell and played the season and then gone free agent or maybe even gotten traded in October. But um, still, it's his, it's, his own, it's his own mistakes that got him in trouble. Now, we've got about four minutes left here, folks, in the program. So, very quickly here, I mean, this matchup with the Texans, Rick, uh, I know you're going to talk about with Dan probably on Friday, but this is going to be a tough spot for the Jets. Uh, we'll see how the, how the Jets handle that pass rush, especially with J.J. Watt. It's going to be a, a tough afternoon, I believe, for the Jets on Saturday night. Uh, but for, for, for New York, it's going to be trying to keep Sam Darnold upright and just trying to get through this game and try not to get humiliated by a Texan team that's trying to solidify itself for a number for possibly a bye week. I mean, right now, right, right in the thick of things for a number two seed right now. And of course, the Jets would catch the Texans coming off their first loss since week three. I mean, the Texans had really bizarre season, zero and three win nine straight games, and then, of course, losing 24-21 this past Sunday to the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, this is going to be – you talk about the Jets' offensive line answering the bell between Merciless and J.J. Watt. I mean, they they, clown, they have guys that can just get after the quarterback, and they come in waves. And I think that you saw a cornerback in Tremaine Johnson for the Jets step up this week against the Buffalo Bills, had two interceptions of Josh Allen – were those to me look like a product of a young rookie quarterback that was really putting himself in a really bad position more so than it was Tremaine Johnson making a play. I'll give him credit the other week against Tennessee. I thought he did a fantastic job of jumping that route of Marcus Mariota. But, you know, even though he had two interceptions, it looks great in the stat column. I felt those are more product of a panic throw from a rookie quarterback. So we're going to see and find out exactly whether Tremaine Johnson was worth the big payday he received this offseason because DeAndre Hopkins is going to be an absolute nightmare for him to cover. He's already got 1,151 receiving yards on 84 receptions and nine touchdowns. That, to me, is going to be the key to the game. The Jets' offensive line, keeping J.J. Watt and Merciless and Clowney out of Sam Darnold's face, and for the Jets to find a way, whether you're throwing double teams, triple teams, you know, the Texans don't have Will Fuller anymore, went down with a season-ending injury. 
They really don't have a viable number two guy that can beat you. If I'm Todd Bowles and that defensive staff, I'm telling, I'm throwing everything in the kitchen sink at DeAndre Hopkins to keep the ball out of his hands and try to at least make another player beat them. I mean, they have Lamont Miller in the running game. They have Alfred Blue and, of course, Demarius Thomas at the wide receiver position. But the main guy is DeAndre Hopkins. If the Jets are able to at least contain him, hold him under 70 yards receiving, they're going to at least be and have a fighter's chance to be within this ball game. But unfortunately, based on the Jets' track record and the way this offensive line has been so up and down, I have very little faith that they're going to keep Sam Darnold clean in the pocket. And you would only hope that the Jets at least try to stay balanced offensively, run some draw plays, quick screen plays to get the ball out of Sam Darnold's hands right. because the last thing Jet fans want to see is see Sam Darnold get hurt or injured in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And we only got a couple seconds left, but you know what? Another big problem is going to be Deshaun Watson. He is going to be a true headache for the Jets to cover. They gave 100 yards to uh, to Josh Allen on the run. I cannot imagine what they're going to do with Deshaun Watson. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Folks, that is the end of this program today. Remember, Rick Walken, of course, your host uh, with Dan Foyerstein most of the time. And they will be back together, I believe, on Friday to preview that Texans matchup and talk more about the Jets as they move towards the offseason here in 2018. Rick, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to be here with for Dan. So Michael Cohen, Rick Welkland, talk to you next time, folks.